Amen. Well, good morning. I want to add my welcome to those of you who are new here, whether in person or online. We're really glad you're joining us uh, for the very first time. My name is Alex, and uh, what we're all about here is connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other, so together we can engage our world for good. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. Before we jump into what we're talking about today, I just want to sort of acknowledge that uh, it's been a, a hard week, uh, another news, more news of gun violence in a school, and uh, I know for many of us, we feel the tensions around that, the weight of that, and as a, as a church, one of my prayers has been for us for much of 2023 is that we would be a spiritually disruptive presence, right? And that any, any spirit that would bring violence into our community is a spirit that is against the spirit of Christ. And so we want to be instruments of, uh, the scripture award is shalom. That's everything relating rightly, that the grace of God would uh, push back violence from our community and that we might be instruments of that in whatever ways that works out in our lives and in our community. There are things that need to be done and ways we need to manage things in an earthly way, but as a church, we want to pray against the spirits that would do damage to children, teachers, parents, uh, and ask the Lord to bring his healing mercies into both our brothers and sisters in Nashville as well as to bring his grace and peace to our community as well. That's our prayer today in the week awake of another hard week and a shooting of a school. We pray for our brothers and sisters, particularly in Nashville, who are grieving today. As a, that was a Christian school, right? And a church. And there's a whole bunch of people who are tied to that, who feel the weight of that here today in a particular way. So uh, today is uh, a, a, a special day in the midst of all that in the life of the church. Today is Palm Sunday. It's a day where Jesus sort of comes into Jerusalem for the last week of his life, and the crowd is shouting Hosanna, and they're shouting Hosanna in the midst of a a scene, a culture, a land that is also racked with violence and grief and all kinds of things that just aren't right. And so what good is it to sing the songs of Jesus? It means everything in the world, actually, to sing the songs of Jesus in the midst of violence and grief. It actually resets us around what's true, right, and good. And we sing the song, and we just sang that every high thing shall come down, every stronghold, those are spiritual strongholds, shall be broken, including spiritual strongholds of violence against our kids and against one another. If you are just joining us, we're so glad you're here. This is uh, the home stretch of a, we, of a series called Step Into the Story. Uh, the idea behind this is uh, you've got a story, I've got a story. Uh, hopefully you've got some ups, uh, plenty of downs. Almost all of us have plenty of downs along the way and no guarantees of happily ever after. But for 2,000 years, all kinds of people with all kinds of pain, all kinds of regrets, all kinds of baggage have found that bringing their story and merging it with Jesus' story introduces redemption, hope, power, grace, mercy, truth, and guaranteed happily ever after into eternity. We're spending this whole series inviting everyone to step into the Jesus story. And like I said earlier, today is a special day. All around the world, the church is celebrating Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's coming in uh, to the last week of his life. It's going to be uh, a, a week full of twists and turns. It's going to end with being betrayed by one of his closest friends, handed over to a mob, crucified and buried, and on the third day, resurrected, which we'll celebrate here next Sunday. But as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the crowd has all kinds of hopes and expectations about who he is, about what he's come to do. They think he's come to sort of celebrate, uh, deliver them from the, uh, the people of, uh, of Rome, the armies of Rome and Roman occupation. But Jesus knows he's come in with a very, very different agenda, and he's going to end in a very, very different kind of a week. The crowd misunderstands Jesus' intentions. Has that ever happened to you? Anyone ever misunderstood your intentions? Why you're here, what you're here to do, kind of what kind of person you are? Have you ever misunderstood someone else's intentions? Have you ever trusted the wrong person? 
Have you ever taken the wrong job in the wrong kind of toxic environment? Students, have you ever thought you're going to sign up for this class? It's going to be easy. This class is going to be so easy, and then it turned out to be not so easy. Have you ever sort of stepped into a situation where you misread the situation, misread the person in charge and what they were all about? Today, there's going to be a crowd that's going to misunderstand Jesus. And yet, what they are doing as they gather to welcome him into Jerusalem and they sing praises is 100% right and good. And there's this weird tension of them worshiping Jesus but having all the wrong and kind of missed expectations and sort of anticipation. But when it comes to worshiping Jesus, when it comes to sort of trusting in the Lord, when it comes to our walk of faith, we're always a work in progress, right? Every single one of us is a work in progress, There will never be a day where you fully understand what God's up to in your life. There'll never be a day when you fully understand what God's up to in the world. All of us are a work in progress. And so I really love the definition of what it means to be a Christian that uh, a woman shared with me uh, a number of years ago that I've always found to be very, very helpful. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, to be a Christian is to give as much as you know of you to as much as you know of Jesus. To give as much as you know of you because you are a mystery to you. Ever say something that you can't believe came out of your mouth? Ever do something and say, why did I do that? You are a mystery to you. You're no mystery to God. God gets you. You are no mystery to you. I mean, so you're no mystery to God, but you are a mystery to you. You're to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know and understand of Jesus. And that's a constant work in progress. Whether you've been a Christian 50 plus years or this is your first time ever kind of coming to a church environment. We're so glad you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All of us, all of us, all of us are a work in progress when it comes to understanding ourselves, understanding God and what God's up to. And so to be a Christian is to give as much as you know of you to as much as you know of the Lord. And so... As we sort of look at this story of a crowd gathering around to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem, we're going to let this crowd teach us what does it mean to give ourselves over to the Lord. Because all throughout this series, we're talking about step into the story, step into the story. This is one of the primary ways, maybe the primary way we step into the story. Worship is one of the primary ways we step into the story. Worship, one of the primary ways we step into the story. And by worship, it doesn't just mean singing, although obviously that's a part of it. It just means the, the, the word worship is a contraction of worth-ship. That is, what are you building your life around? All kinds of people all across uh, our, our community are worth-shipping all sorts of things. Their career, their money, family, hobbies, games, whatever. All kinds of things that people are going to worship. Everyone's going to worship something. To worship is to say, this is what's most important. I'm going to build my life and make my life around this thing. This is the thing that is worth me reorganizing and organizing my life around. We're all going to worship something. What are you going to worship? And worshiping is how we step into any story, whether it's the American dream story or the career story or the family story. Building your life around that thing, that's how you step into that story. The crowd today and all their misunderstanding is going to teach us how to step into the story because here's what they do. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem, they go out to worship him and welcome him into Jerusalem as a king. And they don't totally get what Jesus is doing. They don't know why he's there. They don't really understand what he's there to do. But here we are 2,000 years later and thousands of miles from where all this happened. And churches all over the globe are telling their story as a part of the Jesus story. Because worship is one of the primary ways we enter into the Jesus story. This crowd's going to help us as they fumble their way into worship and as we're going to fumble our way into worship with them, trying to bring as much as we understand of Jesus into as much as we can of worship unto 
him. That's what we're going to see today as we turn to Matthew chapter 21. So a little bit of background. For the last few months, last couple chapters in Matthew, Jesus has been winding his way to Jerusalem. It's also Passover week. Passover, one of the biggest celebrations and festivals in ancient Jewish history still today. One of the biggest celebrations. So thousands of people have come from all these small towns across Israel to come and worship in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover meal. Jesus is going into Jerusalem and here's what he knows is waiting for him. Everyone's worst nightmare. Betrayed by one of his closest friends, handed over to a mob, dying a horrible, terrible, painful death. And the only reason why he's going to Jerusalem, knowing that this is waiting for him, is because he believes that this is what God the Father has sent him to do. To lay down his life, that he might forgive all the sins of the entire world. And so as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, his heart is heavy, and he's feeling the weight of what he's there to do. Meanwhile, there's a crowd that doesn't match pitch with his heaviness. There's a whole lot of other things going on. And so in Matthew chapter 1, we get Jesus approaching Jerusalem. Here's how the story opens up. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say the Lord needs them and he'll send them right away. Now, this is kind of an odd instruction, right? Odd set of directions. Oh, let me, let's see if we can move this into a kind of contemporary sort of situation. We're here in North Chatham. You drive 15 minutes southeast or southwest, you're in a place that's affectionately known as Deep Chatham. Some of you live in Deep Chatham. Some of you love Deep Chatham. Deep Chatham people are people who love five acres to 50 acres and no neighbors. Nice to meet you. Please go away. This is in contrast to, say, Briar Chapel. We can stand in the middle between two, two houses and touch both houses, right? Deep Chatham people, they like their space, and they don't like strangers coming alongside. So let's say that Jesus appeared to you right now in a dream, said, go to Deep Chatham in a farm, and you'll go find a colt and a donkey on some random farmer's house. Untie it and bring it to me. And if some guy comes out with a shotgun saying, get off my property, just say the Lord needs them, and you'll be fine. <laughs> cool, right? Jesus approaches Jerusalem. He gives them some strange directions. Go. You're going to find a colt and a donkey all tied up. Just bring them in. If anyone gives you any grief, just say, the Lord needs them. Because Jesus has a particular way he wants to enter into Jerusalem for the final week of his life. Now, the disciples might balk at this, right? Because this is kind of some strange instructions. But at this point, they've been around with Jesus for three years. And they've come to begin to trust and believe something we talked about here a couple of months ago. That anytime Jesus says go or anytime Jesus says no is an invitation to live supernaturally. Anytime Jesus says go, like go find a colt and a donkey, or no, don't do that, it's an invitation to experience the supernatural grace, mercy, love of the God who loves you. It's an invitation to experience grace and God move in a way that you might not see any other way. Anytime Jesus says go or Jesus says no, it's an invitation to live supernaturally. So I got to ask you here at the outset of our story, are you willing to go or say no in obedience to Jesus even when you don't fully understand, right? Because our understanding is a constant work in progress. There's always going to be stuff that we come across that we feel like the Lord's sort of calling us to or scriptures that we don't understand that don't always make sense to us right now in this moment. Are you willing, what's your, what's your willingness meter to go or say no in obedience to the commands of Jesus because here's what happens some of us get at points in our spiritual life where you have arrested development you get stalled out 
And part of the reason why you're stalled out is because you're bumping up against a go or a no, and you're saying no to that go or to that no. And in so doing, you are robbing yourself of an experience that you can't have any other way. Experience of God's grace, God's mercy, God's love. If you're a little bit stalled out spiritually, go find, I'll tell you what, go find a scripture to obey and see what God might do. And step into the scripture, step into the story, and watch how the Lord might meet you along the way. How willing today, right now, Palm Sunday, 2023, are you to, to go or to say no in obedience to the Lord's commands? Because every time he says go or he says no, it's an invitation, opportunity to, for you to live supernaturally, to experience the grace of mercy of God in a way that you might not experience any other way. Now, at this point in the story, Matthew does a little aside. Here's, Matthew is, of the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew is the most eager to point to all the Old Testament passages that Jesus is fulfilling. Matthew is very Jewish. He's writing to other Jews, trying to convince them that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises and all the prophecies in the Old Testament. So he quotes the most Old Testament prophecies of any of the four biographies of Jesus. And so what Matthew does at this point is he pivots to a little aside to talk about, this is a, a prophecy that Jesus has come to fulfill and what he sort of cites is a passage from Isaiah and a passage from Zechariah, both written hundreds of years before Jesus. And here's the passage that Matthew quotes that Jesus is here to fulfill. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus has come to fulfill this prophecy of how the king comes to town. I have a great crazy aunt. Any of you have a great crazy aunt or uncle that you love? Like, great crazy aunt, uncle? I feel, like, I feel like everyone should have, should be required to have a crazy aunt or uncle that they loved or that was a part of their life. My crazy aunt is Aunt Wendy. Crazy Aunt Wendy is a big, loudmouth southerner. And whenever crazy Aunt Wendy came into a room or to a house, she made an entrance. And her entrance was simply, I'm here. Just proclaiming her arrival. Life was good. The, world, the party could start. The family gathering could begin. Now that Aunt Wendy was here. I'm here. Right? That's how she liked to make her entrance. Matthew here is describing a king who likes to make an entrance. But his entrance is unique. It's not a victorious king coming in on a war horse. Sort of with all these prisoners in tow. Demonstrating how powerful he is. The king comes gentle not on a war horse on a colt on a on a mule a humble animal walking in to town my friends meet the new king not the same as the old king meet the new boss not the same as the old boss this king's different this king comes. He is victorious and he's king. He is king for sure, but he's not king who's come to flaunt how great he is. He has come to serve. This king comes with humility, grace, and love, with strength and power to be sure. But he hasn't come to dominate and flex his muscles. He has come to serve. He has come to set his people free. This king comes to set you and I free from anything that would cut us off from the eternity with God that we were made for. He has come to set us free from sin, to rescue us from our own foolishness, of the ways we cut ourselves off from God. But not just from sin, he's also come to set us free from any other spirit that would choke you out, that would cut you off from God. Hey, my friends, anyone notice how anxious everybody is right now? Anyone notice how anxious 
Everyone is right now. The spirit of this age is an anxious spirit. Anxiety is terrible. Chokes out your joy, distracts you, makes you small, makes your world small, makes you fearful and cowering. Anxiety could just hijack your life. It's like kudzu. It could choke you out. It could choke out your soul. The king has come with power and authority to set you free from an anxious spirit that your world might be big, expansive, gracious, fruitful. Come, worship the king who comes with strength enough to set you free from the spirit of anxiety, which is the spirit of this age. Come, enter in to the joyful freedom of that king. Come, worship this king. This king comes with both strength and humility to free you from your pride. Free you from your arrogance. The only person that likes your pride and arrogance is you, in case you're wondering. And your pride and your arrogance, if you let it, will literally destroy everything that matters in your life, your family, your friendships. Ultimately, it could steal you of your soul. Come let this king set you free from your own pride and your own arrogance with his strength, his humility, his love. Come worship this king. Step into this king's story. This king comes, true king, truly loving, truly gracious, to find those of us who are just wandering, spiritually lost, cut off from God, just not that interested in God or sort of chasing after our own way, finding our own path. This king comes with humility and love and grace and strength and says, come my child. Follow me back to the path I made you for. Follow me back to the God who created you and loves you. Come and follow me. I want to bring you out of your fog spiritually, out of your fog emotionally. I want to invite you into the truth of the kingdom of God. Come and follow me. Come. Worship that king. He is strong. He is humble. No one blends strength and humility together better than Jesus as we follow him, we become people who also blend that beautiful strength and humility in our own lives as well. So Matthew pulls this quote from Zechariah and from Isaiah to sort of point out that Jesus is here to fulfill this, these prophecies. And Jesus sends the disciples in to go get a donkey and a colt. Now this is kind of an odd detail, right? You got a donkey and the donkey's colt. It's ra- I, I, listen, I'm no horseman, but it's rather hard to ride two animals at the same time. It's a little tricky. So part of what's likely happening here is Jesus is going to walk in on the colt, on the baby donkey. But the the mama donkey is going to bring some stability to baby donkey, right? So there's going to be a large crowd, a lot of noise. So you've got baby donkey donkey that Jesus is actually riding. That's the most humble of the beasts. And then you've got mama donkey. There is a stabilizing influence. Moms everywhere, thank you for being a stabilizing influence in our lives. It's a nod to you. So Jesus, walk, Jesus goes in, and, and, and the disciples, to their credit, actually do this crazy thing that Jesus tells them to go and do. Here's Jesus actually making his big entrance into the last week of his life. Here's how the story unfolds. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, if you're new to Chatham Community Church, here's what you might not know. There is a subset of people in Chatham Community Church who are a little obsessed with games. Board games, card games, they love games. Some of them are a little, little, little hyper-competitive, have issues 
but they love games. And uh, in fact, Jaime, who was here a couple weeks ago, our campus t- teaching pastor down in Pittsburgh, he is a little bit board game obsessed. I might even call him a board game nerd. He's a board game nerd. He'll, he'll like go get new board games all the time, go to board game conventions, invite people over to his house in order to destroy them gently <laughs> with his board game prowess. So here's, here's me and games. Me and games is this, like, I almost never want to play a game the first time someone says it. Like, a, 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 a game initially is never attractive to me. I almost always have to fight through some initial resistance before I'd be willing to give myself over to a game. But if I give myself over to a game, I find that I actually enjoy it. Like, I, like I don't know why I'm always resistant to it. It's kind of this weird, like, you can just pray for me. I don't know what my problem is. But it's like this weird thing where I'm initially resistant, but once I go in, I'm all in, and I enjoy it. But here's the thing. The only way you enjoy a game is if you go all in. Right? That's how you get the most out of a game. Whatever the, whatever the rules are, whatever the thing is, you jump in all the way in. That's how you get the most out, out of a game. Here's what's true spiritually. The only way you get the most out of a spiritual journey with Jesus is if you go all in. You go half in, you don't get the grace, the mercy, power, redemption. You don't get the fullness of what's available to you in Jesus. You, you hold back. You, you live around the edges. You're kind of half in, half out. The mercy, the grace, the power, the love, you don't experience it. You don't experience the fullness of that. This crowd is giving as much as they know of themselves to as much as they know of Jesus. They are as all in as they know to be. Now let's talk about the makeup of this crowd, just so we can understand kind of what's going on here. In this crowd, you probably have hundreds and hundreds of people in this crowd. You probably got, first off, the core 12 disciples, right? That's a given. But then along with the core 12, there's a group of at least 70, maybe more, who are with Jesus from day one, almost from day one. Like 70 plus people that follow Jesus everywhere he goes for three years. So you've got, he's got, he brings a large entourage just in and of himself. And then they're approaching Jerusalem, and this is not Jesus' first time in Jerusalem. He's been to Jerusalem multiple times, so there's people that have heard him teach, seen his miracles, and are excited that Jesus is coming. But Jerusalem is also swelling during Passover time. Thousands of more people from these small towns all across Israel, and those people, many of those people have been visited by Jesus. Many of those towns he's visited and done miracles and taught. So you've got all these people who are like, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. They're excited. They go out to meet him. So hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people out there singing his praises, delighting to worship him. And they quote Psalm 118. They open with this beautiful praise, Hosanna to the son of David. The word Hosanna literally means save us. It was a prayer initially, like a desperate prayer. Initially, By the time you get to like the Psalms and uh, later in the Old Testament, Hosanna is just a word of praise and celebration. Like the Lord saves is a good translation, right? God saves. He is a savior. Here comes Jesus, the savior of us all. And then son of David, the, uh, the prophecy from the Old Testament was that whoever the Messiah was, the savior, was going to be the, the son of David. Sort of in the lineage of David, uh, uh, the one who was the greatest king in ancient Israel's history, God had promised David, you're, you're going to have a king that will reign forever. So they celebrate that Jesus is the, the one who saves from the line of David. And then this beautiful line that I've just prayed so much the last week, and actually weeks, ahead, weeks before that, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Throughout the scriptures, whenever anyone comes in the name of the Lord, they come with the words of God, the purposes of God, God's agenda, God's truth. The, 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 he's a communicator of God's goodness and, and, and graciousness and his love and his purposes in the world. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus comes in the name of the Lord 
all power, all authority. But this crowd doesn't fully understand what he's there to do, right? This crowd does not fully understand what he's there to do. But they're saying words that are truer than they can possibly understand in this moment. And now this crowd is hyped up because of a number of things, right? One, it's Passover time. And two, Jesus is make his, making his big entrance into Jerusalem. Passover is the story from thousands of years earlier for the people of Israel. They were enslaved in Egypt. The Passover was when God set his people free through Moses, they were set free from slavery to Egypt. It's Passover. Here it is. Here comes Jesus. Maybe he's come to set us free again from Roman tyranny, right? You can see how those dots get connected. Passover, freedom from political tyranny. And they had this hope that Jesus might be the son of David, the great king of Israel's past, that he might reclaim Israel's throne and restore Israel to greatness. So just like all of us today, their, their worship is based on partial understanding and some misunderstanding. And just like all of us, their worship today is going to be tested in just a handful of days. Because Jesus doesn't come to overthrow Roman occupiers. You know what he does? He submits to the Roman occupiers. That's the worst thing possible. The, the, the biggest inversion, the biggest shock for this whole crowd is that Jesus doesn't come to overthrow Rome. He, over, he comes to get crushed by Rome. How big of a disappointment is that? So there's this massive gap between what they hope Jesus will do and what he actually does. And in a handful of days, this crowd is going to have to ask the question that all of us have to ask when we're following and worshiping Jesus. Were they actually worshiping Jesus or were they hoping and worshiping the thing that Jesus would give them? Were they actually worshiping Jesus or were they worshiping the greatness of Israel? That's the question. Were they worshiping Jesus or were they worshiping the thing past Jesus that they wanted Jesus to give them, which is freedom and deliverance for moment occupation? My friends, there's going to come a point in your life where Jesus is not going to deliver on the thing that you want him to deliver on. And at that point in our spiritual journeys, we all have to ask the question, am I actually in this for Jesus or am I actually in this for the things that Jesus wants to give me or that I want Jesus to give me? We all come to Jesus with hopes, dreams, agendas, things we want Jesus to do. And those are good things. We're, we're supposed to bring those things to the Lord. It's not a bad thing to do that. But every so often, the Lord is going to disappoint us in our hopes, dreams, agendas, and plans. And the question at that point is, are we actually going to stick with Jesus? Or are we actually going to actually demand, no, this is the most important thing to me. And if Jesus won't give it to me, I'll find someone else or something else that will. So here's the question for us, my friends. Are we willing to repent? Repent means U-turn, change your mind, rethink your priorities when we realize that we've been worshiping something that we're hoping that Jesus would give us. Are we willing to sort of change our minds, reorder, reset when we realize that we've been worshiping something, worshiping something that we would hope Jesus would give us? Someone once asked, someone once told me, uh, here's how you know what your idols are. Here's what you know we're actually worshiping. Look at your prayer life. What is the thing that you're most often asking God to do for you? Whatever the thing you're praying the most about, that's probably the thing that you're worshiping the most, or at least most tempted to worship. All of us at some point in our lives are going to come to the realization, if you're spiritually awake, that you actually don't want God for himself or the Lord for himself. You want something the Lord can do for you. That, that's what actually matters to you. Now, when we do this in other relationships, we can see how it's not the healthiest thing, right? So if you marry someone for their money, you don't love them, you love their money, right? 
If you worship Jesus because he can give you something, you're not worshiping Jesus. You're actually worshiping the thing you hope he can give you, the thing past the Lord. So when we come to that realization, when we wake up to that, when we see that that's actually true, the, one of the hardest spiritual questions is, are, am I willing to actually fix my heart and life on the Lord and ask for forgiveness for the ways that I've chased after other things? In about five days, this crowd is going to have their worship severely tested. And that crowd, by the way, the crowd that likely calls for Jesus' crucifixion, there's a crowd that cries out for Jesus' crucifixion in like five days, probably not the same crowd that's here and outside Jerusalem. There's hundreds of people outside the gates of Jerusalem on the way in. There's a different set of hundreds of people that are crying for his blood five days later. So it's likely a different crowd. But regardless, this crowd is going to have their worship severely tested, their, their hopes severely dashed, just like you and I have our hopes severely dashed. And at that point, they're going to have to wrestle with, was I actually trusting in Jesus, or did I just want and hope for the restoration of the greatness and the hope of Israel's kind of geopolitical sort of vitality and independence? And here's the good news. About seven weeks after this great triumphant entry, there's another big Jewish uh, celebration called Pentecost, about seven weeks later. And when we pick up in Acts chapter 1 after Jesus' death, after Jesus' death and resurrection, Acts chapter 1 picks up right back here in Jerusalem at the very beginning of the gathering of the church. And, and Jesus' death and resurrection ascension has happened. They still have no idea what they're supposed to be doing. They don't understand what Jesus has done. They don't know why. But here's what the, the author Luke in Acts 1 tells us. Author, author Luke tells us that there was a group of about 120 people that were still with the Christians, even though Jesus had not delivered on the hopes that they had hoped he would. And here's my guess, just a guess, but here's my guess. My guess is that group of about 120 is a subset of the group that welcomed Jesus on Palm Sunday. And their worship has been refined and tested. And right now, in Acts chapter 1, on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection, they have no idea what's happened. They still don't understand what's happened or why. All they're saying is, Jesus, you did not give me what I want. You did not do what I expected. And yet, I will trust in you. Yet, I will follow you. I have no idea what it means. I have no idea what you're up to. I have no idea what you're doing. This is not how I pictured it going down. I did not see this coming. But whatever you're doing, Jesus, I am worshiping you. And I'm not worshiping the thing that I wanted past you. I'm not holding on to my idol anymore. I am worshiping the king. And whatever the king wants to do, I'm here for it. And as that worship has been refined and tested with this group of 120 people, God the Father pours out the Holy Spirit to start the church. And 2,000 years later, and thousands of miles from Jerusalem, you and I are here singing the songs of praise to King Jesus. Because 120 people were willing to repent of their false worship of the freedom of Israel and said, I will worship the king no matter what King Jesus is doing. Because, my friends, worship of the king is how we step into the story, even if it has to be refined over and over and over again. Because we come to Jesus with partial understandings and partial understanding of what he's doing, who he is, and what he's all about. And over the course of your lifetime, if you are willing to walk with the Lord, he will every so often show you that you've been chasing after something that he never promised, that you put words in his mouth, that you sort of held on to this thing that you really wanted him to do for you. And so every so often, he'll pull back the curtain and show you what you're chasing after is this other thing. And you want this other thing more than you want him. And man, what a gift that is. It is such a gift, my friends. It is such a gift when the Lord shows us that we're worshiping the wrong things, isn't it? 
Because here's the thing, you don't want to be stuck in an earthly story, worshiping other things, worshiping your career, your family. I mean, those aren't bad things. Worshiping your money, worshiping your freedom. Those aren't bad things. They're just not ultimate things. And when you build your life around your career or your money or your family, here's the story you're writing. It's just another earthly story. Hopefully some ups. Guaranteed plenty of downs. No promises of happily ever after. But if you're willing to worship the king, if you're willing to worship the king and re-worship the king and re-worship the king and re-worship the king over and over and over again, you step into the redemption story where grace, power, beauty, love, and redemption of all your regrets and all your mistakes is possible in this life and living eternally, happily ever after with the king of glory. Blessed be his name. That's the invitation to step into his Story. Today's wildly important take-homes. Worship is a primary way, maybe the primary way, we step into the story, even if you only partially understand what you're worshiping and who you're worshiping. Because being a Christian means you're just giving as much as you know of yourself to as much as you understand and know of Jesus. That's a constant, ongoing work in progress. Worship includes stepping out in faith. So are you willing to step out in faith, to sort of step out in obedience? When it's anytime that God, Jesus says go or Jesus says no, how willing are you to respond because that's an invitation to step into and live supernaturally, to follow and meet the Lord in ways that you will never, other meet, never meet him any other way. And very often it's active steps of obedience that helps us to uncover and grow in the spiritual life, especially when we're in a place where we're stalled out or stuck. And then finally, are we willing to repent, change direction, change our mind, and worship Jesus when we realize we've been worshiping something past Jesus, other than Jesus, something that we would hope that he might give us our Worship is a constant, refining work in progress. And so we're invited to sort of walk this journey with this crowd of worshiping the Lord, being disappointed in the Lord, letting that sort of reshuffle the deck and show us what does it mean to actually worship. Because here's the thing. Worship is not the only way you step into the Jesus story. Worship is how you step into every story. Every story, any story, the career story, the money story, the family story, the people's approval story, you build your life around those things. You're worshiping that thing, those things. Worship is how we step into any story. Jesus says, I have come to love you into eternity, to pour out redemption and grace and love into your life. Step into that king's redemptive, beautiful story. And today, with believers all over the world, we enter into that story through some concrete elements he's given us to help us to step into that story as we take communion a handful of days after Jesus comes into the city with all that pomp and circumstance. He's in a small room with some of his best friends. His last night is here. He's about to be betrayed in just a few hours. And Jesus does what he's always doing. He takes ordinary things and makes them extraordinary. He wants to give them handholds. How do we enter into the story how do we share in this story? How do we worship this king? He says, well, here's some ordinary bread. He breaks it and says, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Eating the bread is one of the ways we step into his story. Then he took the cup. He says, this cup is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Drinking this is one of the ways that we worship. It's one of the ways we step into his story that night unfolded like a nightmare he's betrayed and run through a mock trial crucified on the third day as we'll celebrate here next week he's raised from the dead king of kings lord of lords he comes in meek lowly riding on a donkey in love the victor 
who has come to cut us off, to set us free from all the things that cut us off from sin and death, to bring us into God's presence forevermore. We're going to move now to our time of communion. If you are a Jesus follower, if you proclaim that somewhere, if you've been baptized in some church somewhere, this table is for you. If you're not yet a Jesus follower, we're so glad you're here. We just invite you to sort of sit back and pray and consider, would Jesus be calling you today to step into his story of redemption, grace, and mercy? We're going to move to a time of worship. I invite you to go to one of our three stations. We've got one, two in front, one in the back. At home, feel free just to grab whatever you can grab. Uh, we're going to sing a song. We're going to ask you to get these elements and bring them back to your seats. And then we'll eat and drink together uh, from these elements together as, uh, as one body together. One last word, and that is we always, on Communion Sundays, we have our prayer room available. That is People over there, there's a prayer room, folks going back there in the, uh, the, the prayer room off to the side here. If you need prayer for anything, you've got medical stuff, family stuff, uh, like work stuff, job situations, anything at all that is kind of causing you stress and anxiety, we invite you to go and get prayer here today. If you need healing for anything, those folks will be glad to listen to you and pray for you and eat and drink together, the communion elements. Let me pray for us, and then we'll move to our time of taking communion together. Lord Jesus, thank you for entering in to Jerusalem as a king, strong and mighty, yet humble and lowly. We welcome you, king of glory. We welcome you, king of kings. And like this crowd, we know that we don't fully understand what you're about. We know that even in our own personal lives, there's twists and turns and our understanding of who you are and what you're doing, that's going to evolve and grow and change over the course of our lives by, by your grace and by your mercy. But for today... This moment, we want to do what this crowd did, just give all of ourselves that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. Come, Lord Jesus, would you awaken us spiritually by these elements to help us to step into your magnificent story. We ask and pray in your strong and mighty name. Amen, amen, and amen.